It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as expert insight and analysis into all the topics and debates you're debating out there on the world game. Delighted to say that in a short while we're going to be joined by a legend of Brazilian football journalism and an old friend of Duncan and I's, Julio Gomez Filho, who's going to talk about Neymar and bring us up to date with everything going on there, as well as everything you need to know about who's going to be moving from that great country to Europe in the next weeks, months, maybe even next summer as well. As always, the transfer guru is with me and we're going to start with news. Duncan, I hear that Paulo Dybala and the um, reports that Spurs have indeed um, expressed an interest in him it are true. Uh, his brother and agent, Gustavo, has spoken with both Daniel Levy and Manchester United in the last five days. It's clear that the player is interested in moving to the Premier League. Um, we reported right at the beginning, in fact, before the window even opened, I believe, that Manchester United had uh, already lodged an interest in the player and indeed had agreed verbally to meet his buyout clause. Now, that's changed slightly. He has obviously been busy in the Copa America action and is currently on holiday um, after that. Has yet to join up with the Juventus squad for pre-season, or is about to, uh, as far as I can tell. Um, now, the Spurs offer is kind of um, classic Daniel Levy tactic. It's a low-ball figure. Um, they've been told by the player's agent, that he is very interested in coming to England. And the offer has was €45 million, Euros, which comes in at around £41.2 million. That's nowhere near Juventus' valuation of the player. They see him as a player who's worth at least €80 million. Euros. I think the figure that they would accept would maybe slightly less than that because they need to recoup some of the huge amounts of money that they have already invested in this window with regards to both signings and the salaries that they've paid to the likes of Aaron Ramsey and Adrian Rabiot who have joined on free transfers. As far as Manchester United's um, interest is concerned, I'm told that it will depend on Romelu Lukaku leaving the club um, and therefore the interest from Inter Milan is going to be pivotal uh, towards um, whether or not Dybala becomes a realistic target, a realistic sign, I should say, um, uh, in terms of Dybala. Duncan... (laughs) Juventus have been very, very busy and I think they've surprised a lot of people in this window by the extent of their activity. Now, um, I'm told Maurizio Sarri has spoken once to Dybala about what he might pl- where he might play and what might be his position in the team. But I think with Cristiano Ronaldo um, probably playing through the centre next season, Dybala is you know, kind of being fo- not forced out but certainly marginalised in terms of where he plays in that particular Formation. Yeah, there's a lot of elements to this. Uh, Dybala hasn't been happy at Juventus for a long time. Um, the, the switch of coach does not appear to have, have helped matters. Um, Juventus's recruitment hasn't helped matters. As you say, they've, they've spent a lot of money uh, bringing players in. 
um, either on big contracts, which is on Ramsey, um, or on big contracts and big transfer fees. Uh, Matthias De Ligt, as we um, predicted, the eventual transfer fee for De Ligt was essentially the same as the money um, Ajax received for Frankie de Jong, 75 million guaranteed, um, upwards of 10 million euros in bonuses, uh, a huge commission to uh, uh, our favourite pizzaman, Mino Raiola, in that deal, and a big salary, a better salary than he'd been offered anywhere else for De Ligt. So Juventus need to recoup cash, and Dybal has always been one of the players that they've been happy um, to uh, market to other clubs and to have his agent talk to other clubs and see if there was opportunity for him to, to leave. And we told you previously that um, Inter were a possibility. What I'm hearing from Italy is that Dybala does not want to move elsewhere in Italy. He's, he's feeling as if he leaves Juventus, he leaves for a new project. He doesn't want to be seen to be dropping down to a second-tier club in Italy, which is what any move away from Juventus, who won title after title uh, there, would be perceived as. Um, I'm told that he is genuinely interested in that approach from Tottenham. Um, and I'm also told that it is serious on Tottenham's part. I think uh, the way you described it, the Daniel Levy putting a low ball proposal together um, makes sense. That's very much the way he works. And he, he will be aware of all these factors in terms of uh, Dybala wanting to leave Italy, wanting a new challenge and, and Juventus uh, requiring money. So uh, it makes sense to put a, a low offer in and see where things go. Um, I'm told he earns about €7 million Euros net at present at Juventus, so it's a substantial salary. But what's clear is that Tottenham, in this window, are prepared to be um, very aggressive about bringing new players in. We told you um, they're looking in both fullback positions. We told you that uh, they'd advanced matters with uh, Ryan Sessegnon earlier this week, obviously already broken their transfer record on Tangeon Dumbelli. Um, they have been uh, pushing to complete a deal for Giovanni Lo Celso. I'm told that in midfield, they also want another, if possible, another top-level midfielder to come in alongside um, Endombele, um, with Harry Winks taking an important role in that, in that sort of midfield, that more technical, uh, a midfield with more ability to move the ball quickly is what they're aiming for. And then a forward, at least one forward player capable of playing across the line on top. So um, I think it's very far from completion. But the fact they're even trying to secure a player like Dybala uh, is, uh, I think, revelatory in a way for Tottenham Hotspur and, and probably not unconnected with the fact that they've secured a very um, high sponsorship uh, deal, um, which puts them on uh, not quite on Manchester United's level in terms of shirt sponsorship, but close to it. Um, so a step up in, in that department as well, in the commercial department, as well as this new stadium um, and uh, and throughout the rest of the squad. So traditionally, Duncan, it's um, been a matter over the last two decades of Spurs selling their best player to Manchester United um, every three or four years. And yet here we have a situation where both clubs are competing for the signature of one of, yeah, I think it's fair to say, the, the, the best second strikers uh, in European football, if not world football. Um, 
I get the feeling that if if Manchester United's bid is hinged upon Lukaku leaving and um, freeing up space in the squad for him, then they're a little bit hamstrung with regards to timings. Obviously, we're getting close to the 8th of August deadline for the transfer window closing in the UK. Um, do we think that Spurs have got an advantage here in that they seem to have uh, both the money to spend and they're not looking to offload players ahead of making probably what would be a more realistic bid for Dybala? Look, they have Champions League football, which is going to be attractive. They're based in London, which is going to be attractive. Um, They reached the Champions League final last season, which will not have gone unnoticed. Uh, They have a a coach who I think would be able to sell the project better um, and and certainly has a higher status in world football. than Manchester United have. And I think with Manchester United, what you see with their transfer activity this summer is they have made contact with the agents or with clubs of a lot of players. They clearly want to keep their options open uh, in you know several different areas. And, and I think we should regard the, the contact with Dybala in that, in that uh, category. Um, I think they they want to be to have done a bit of the groundwork um, with the player if they make a decision to go down that line. And obviously, Lukaku's sale is important to them. They're open to that. They've been working towards it, but they want to achieve a certain fee. Um, there are other players uh, for those attacking positions they've been talking to, just as if they've talked to um, multiple players in uh, midfield positions where they still need to recruit. So um, I think there, therefore, is an opportunity for Tottenham, if they are prepared to go very hard at this transfer, to convince the player um, at a period in which Manchester United only have Dybala as an option rather than a, a preferred target. But uh, you, you also have to say it would require a very significant commit from, from Tottenham to go all the way through with this deal. I, I think what Levy senses here is an opportunity because Juventus um, need to sell, because the player is open to leaving, because he would like to play in England. I think they're exploring it to see whether something can be done on a financial level. Um, it will be expensive whatever way it's done, but on a financial level, that's uh, that's, a, that's suitable and acceptable to Daniel Levy. Exciting times for Spurs fans, it has to be said, and we could not have said that in the last two transfer windows uh, for fans of Tottenham Hotspur, that's for sure. We told you on Wednesday's podcast about the serious interest and offer from Everton for Wilfred Zaha. That has now progressed to the point where clubs are speaking about a fee and a structure of a payment for the player. It's uh, our understanding here at the Transfer Window podcast that Zaha is mulling over his options, still would prefer to stay in London, um, however, is not ruling out a move to the Northwest. But Duncan, you've got news of a potential alternative for Everton should Zaha not decide to move to Goodison Park. Yes, um, just an update on where they are with Zaha, and that's I can emphasise that he's very much first choice to uh, strengthen their attack. Marco Silva, uh, very keen to get him in. 
I'm told that uh, they believe they've made significant progress with Palace and are close to um, matching the financial terms that Palace would want for the player. The worry they have is convincing Zaha to come. Um, as we said, uh, his preference would be uh, to remain in London. As you said, his, uh, his brother has talked about being an Arsenal fan. I think in an ideal world, he would uh, he would take that move over the one to Everton if Arsenal can put the finances together to meet Palace's term. And that's the big if here. Everton aren't um, banking on on Zaha and they're working on uh, other deals in case they can't make that one happen. One of the players I am uh, told they've been in contact with and been in contact with the uh, with the club who owns them currently is uh, Rafael Leon at Lille, um, who's a 20-year-old Portuguese striker, Portugal under-21 international. You remember last summer he emerged in the sporting team as um, one of... Uh, yeah, very high-level uh, young talents in Portuguese football at, at that time. He exercised his option to leave Sporting, according to um, Just Cause, because of the problems um, that were happening around the club at that time, and, and moved to Lille at uh, minimal cost. Um, he's had a very good first season in France, um, 16 starts uh, in Ligue 1. Uh, scoring eight times uh, with two assists, um, very much uh, burnished his reputation. He's really quick um, on the ball, very quick going forward, very much a modern striker, has height about him as well and a good physique. Um, and there's a lot of interest at present. Um, Everton uh, are the club from his side who have been most aggressive from uh, England. Um, but there are is interest from other clubs in England and there's a lot of interest in Italy. Um, the Lille president, Gerard Lopez, has spoken today about the club having eight um, offers for the player, four from Italy. Um, two of the clubs that are particularly prominent there are Inter and Milan. Um, I believe the other interest is from Roma and Napoli. Uh, I think Napoli see him as an alternative to Nicola Pepe if they can't convince the player to come. Lopez, Lopez also went public on Pepe saying that they have an agreement with uh, Napoli over the price. Um, so that Napoli have met their 80 million euro asking price, but they're leaving it to Pepe to make a decision on which club he goes to. Lopez said they have big offers, acceptable offers from four major clubs in Europe for Pepe. Um, but even more interest than Leon, um, checking at the Italian end, um, Milan are very strong in the player, but they have an issue in terms of having to shift uh, forwards out before signing them. They're trying to sell Andre Silva and uh, Patrick Catroni, um, and also trying to sell Suso uh, to raise revenue before they make a move. Inter, I'm told, see Leon as an alternative if they cannot get a deal over the line for um, Romelu Lukaku and Eden Zeko, the two um, strikers that Antonio Conte had prioritised. Um, so I think we're going to see this player move in this window. Um, talking uh, to uh, an individual close to Leon, he uh, says that uh, Lille are, are open to the move and the player is also open to the move. The price I'm hearing, asking price of €35 million, um, I, and 
I think uh, a possibility, given the number of clubs that are interested, that we'll get a bit of a, a, a bidding war um, for this player who uh, also um, attracted the interest of Manchester City um, before he left uh, Sporting. I, I'm not hearing that City are in for him this time. Um, but that that city were uh, looking at him a year ago and looking very seriously and involved in conversations uh, for the player a year ago tells you the quality of uh, of talent they have because city are one of the clubs who are who've been successful at recruiting in that age range um, in Europe in recent years. Now, as promised at the top of the podcast, we are joined by journalist, broadcaster, legend. Julio Gomez Filio uh, for a uh, great big chat on what's happening both with Neymar and in Brazilian football right now. First of all, though, Duncan's going to give us a quick update on the latest uh, trials and tribulations of uh, the superstar at Paris Saint-Germain and what the future lies, Duncan. Yeah, just a, a very uh, brief update. Barcelona is still trying to tempt Paris Saint-Germain into a deal that they'll accept, which doesn't cost Barcelona much money. They've had a, added another player to the uh, the tapas board of uh, Barcelona rejects that they're uh, allowing uh, PSG a choice of. That is Ivan Rakitic, um, a player who has uh, also been of interest to Manchester United this summer, who um, I believe would prefer to stay in Barcelona, has made it clear he'd prefer to stay in Barcelona. I, I'm told that Paris Saint-Germain aren't particularly keen on Rakitic either. So uh, we're still in uh, the process of trying to get an offer um, with players like uh, Usman Dembele is on another side of the tapas board and uh, uh, Philip Coutinho elsewhere and anyone else they fancy uh, um, having a, a, a taste of. Um, plus, uh, a bit of Barcelona money. Barcelona don't want to put more than 70 million euros cash into the deal. Um, and uh, I think Neymar's getting increasingly nervous about this. We should mention this point to everyone that Julio, our uh, very, very um, special guest, was the man who broke probably one of the biggest transfer stories in history, and that was Cristiano Ronaldo's decision to leave Manchester United after year 2008 to go to Real Madrid. Um, Julio, on that um, amazing reputation, what is your feeling that where Neymar will end up? Is it going to be definitely at Barcelona or is it going to be trapped at Paris Saint-Germain? Hello, Ian. Hello, Duncan. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you for the words, Ian. Uh, I don't think I deserve all that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a ride since we were together in, in, in that Euro Cup in 2008. Uh, when, Christian, when Cristiano decided to go to, to Real Madrid. Uh, and I think <clears throat> at that time, do you remember, Cristiano said that, but it took a long year so he could leave yeah. United and go to, to Real Madrid. And, and this time, I think Neymar, after having everything he wanted throughout his career, right? He wanted to leave Santos and whenever he wanted to, he did. Uh, he wanted to leave Barcelona to PSG and he left. And right now, I think he will have to wait. Uh, if, if we have a look at the, at the market uh, and who has the money to buy Neymar and who wants Neymar, that's, that's a, an important question because it's not that everybody wants Neymar right now, right? He, he comes along with a package that's kind of explosive. Yeah, his father and 
all his mates and everything he does and his dives and everything. So I don't, I don't think uh, there are many clubs in the world that want Neymar and have the money to buy Neymar. So right now, I think he will end up in Barcelona, but next year, I, I, I think PSG will, 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 will give him some, some, uh, uh, some hard moments before he leaves. Duncan? Well, uh, <laughs> not what Neymar's expecting, that's for sure. Um, uh, the, other, um, the, other, the, other, the other element in this is that Barcelona have been uh, basically ad, uh, advised uh, Neymar not to talk to other clubs and not to encourage other clubs, um, which his father would like to do, um, hmm. uh, particularly Real Madrid. And I think there's been an effort to, to drag uh, Manchester United into the equation. And the reason Barcelona have uh, sorry, uh, the reason Barcelona have told them that is they don't want to get involved in a bidding war and they're, they're scared uh, that the only way they can make this deal happen is if they manage to keep that cash element down. Um, and, I, and I think you're right. I think Paris are going to make things difficult for him. Uh, they're, they're obviously very unhappy with the way he's behaved. But I think there's also, as we've talked about in this podcast several times, there's a calculation that from a sporting perspective, it would be better to get him out of the club now they have a they have a better, uh, more reliable forward than Kylian Mbappe to bank on. Um, but the, there's always the element with Qatar of pride um, and not being seen yes. to lose yes. in a battle and in a transaction in a war. So that's the uh, the difficulty that uh, Neymar um, is trading on to try and get out, and the difficulty that Barcelona face in the sense that they don't want to pay the money Paris Saint-Germain want for the player um, and are trying to make it up with, with players who would be attractive to them. Um, what's your feeling on Philippe Coutinho? Um, because the, his, um, his performances at Barcelona have disappointed, but uh, he seems still to be at the level he was ever at while playing for, for Brazil. He did play well this this last Copa America that Brazil won uh, last month. Well, actually, this month we were still in July. Uh, he did play well. Uh, he he wasn't brilliant. I think Coutinho is not is uh, not going to lead anyone to anything. He's not going to be the main player for Paris uh, in this uh, in this road to conquer Europe, which is which is they're trying to build, right? Uh, I don't think Coutinho is going to be the number one player in any team, in any important team in Europe, but he could very well be a number two, a number three, a very important player, a very uh, uh, important character in, in, in any club. Uh, so I think this is a good time to buy Coutinho, actually, because after, after the season he had in Barcelona, uh, and raising question marks right he's he's raising lots of question marks i mean is uh, for example what i'm saying right now maybe two years ago i had a different opinion i thought he would be uh, a, a fantastic player to lead any team to a champions league title for example uh after this one and a half year in barcelona i don't have the same opinion uh, and maybe Barcelona as well. Maybe Barcelona <laughs> that have, have changed opinion as well. So um, I think this would be a good player to buy right now. That that would be a good investment for, for, for PSG, in my opinion. Uh, because 
he's he's not worth it, the price that Barcelona paid. Um, I see. I, I agree with you, Duncan. Uh, maybe if 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 Paris would, if Paris were a normal club, let's say, a normal football club, uh, maybe they would have to sell Neymar. And I think this is what Neymar and Neymar's father, Neymar Senior, think too. They they are thinking that Paris uh, will act as a normal club. But this factor that you mentioned, the Qatar pride. This is not this is not uh, uh, a small factor, isn't it? I mean, this is uh, this is this is a big part of the equation. Uh, imagine if they sell uh, Neymar back to Barcelona, Barcelona, and come April they will face each other in the quarterfinals, and Neymar destroy Paris as he did in the biggest game of his career, the six-one. Obviously, with the help of the referee as well, but uh, this was the biggest uh, match of Neymar's career wearing Barcelona's jersey. So imagine uh, this situation: Neymar destroying PSG in next year uh, Champions League knockout stage. That would be that would be something, wouldn't it? So I I, I think uh, I think they will try to avoid this situation at least for an year then they, they everybody knows that Neymar will be yeah this, this everybody knows that uh this will eventually happen but does it have to be that soon does it have to be the one he wants whenever he wants uh I, I think it's Qatar pride that you mentioned this is not a small factor in this in this uh equation I think this this will play a huge role in the next weeks. Julio, we have a we have a, a good idea of our perception of Neymar in Europe. Um, I'm interested to hear how his perception is in Brazil. The last time I was in Brazil was for the World Cup, and I, I remember him being very much the star and and uh, almost omnipresent in the country, not just on television but in advertising hoardings and everywhere you went, you were aware of Neymar, and and he was a hero, and uh, and he came close to 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 playing that hero's role and, and, and bringing the World Cup back to Brazil. How has that changed over the years and how is he seen by Brazilians now? The perception of Neymar has changed a lot since last time you've been here, you, you were here, Duncan. Uh, five years ago, in 2014, everybody was sure Neymar would bring a World Cup or two uh, to Brazil and that he was the next number one player of the world, right? After Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously nobody thought those guys were last for so long, right? I think not even in Europe, I think everybody was uh, uh, was imagining Cristiano and Messi would keep their level so high until 2019. Uh, but everybody, everybody was sure Neymar was the next big thing. And... After that, we were together in Fortaleza when, when Brazil won that match against Colombia and then Neymar left the game after after being hit on the back by Zunig. Uh, so do you, uh, you, you will remember well, Duncan, how the whole country, how in the streets people were chanting against Colombians, like, oh my God, yeah. what, what happened? Like, this the next, it's the, the, the Third World War because uh, and it will begin here between Brazil and Colombia because a Colombian player has just hit Neymar in the back. 
So uh, that the, the country was really supportive of Neymar and and his behavior and his football and everything. And then come next year, uh, uh, the following year, 2015, he destroys in Barcelona. He he's he's a very important player in that Champions League uh, uh, season, Champions League title. Barcelona won that season. Uh, he was very important. And then from there on, from 2015 on. It's all way down, right? So um, nobody, I, I'm not saying nobody. I think the country is split right now. Uh, I, I'm, I used to compare Neymar's situation with political situation here in Brazil. Uh, there are really two different sides, two different ways of seeing Neymar, and people are not willing to... Um, to reach an agreement. You understand what I mean? I mean, there are people who really love Neymar. There are people who really hate Neymar. And there's nothing in between. Right now in Brazil, this is the, this is the perception. So uh, after 2018 World Cup, he lost a lot of support because the way that he behaved, because the way he played, the way he, uh, he was diving and complaining and cheating in every single play, uh, in every single match. So uh, from one year until now, from summer 2018, summer obviously in Europe, until now, in one year time, uh, Neymar lost a lot of support here in Brazil. So before Copa America, after uh, he hit that supporter in a French League or French Cup, League, uh, French French Cup or French League Cup final against Hen, I guess. Uh, and he hit a supporter, right? When he was uh, going upstairs uh, to to get his uh, silver medal. Uh, the, I don't know how big this story was in Europe, but it was very big here in Brazil. And after that event, lots of people were uh, asking Chichi, the, the Brazilian head coach, not to take Neymar to the Copa America, that would be, uh, uh, he would be grounded, let's say, uh, for, for what he did. And that would be uh, deserved punishment for him. Uh, let's uh, remember that Tite didn't call Douglas Costa uh, in a recent call because he spat in, in, a, in, a, in a teammate in a Juventus training camp. So if, if, uh, if he spat someone and was punished, why Neymar, who punched a supporter in the face, uh, could not be punished, right? And uh, and there was a general idea. I I'm I'm one of the analysts that defended this this point of view that Brazil would win the Copa America regardless of Neymar playing or not because that that was an easy one to win and and that was in Brazil uh, it would be no problem and it wasn't actually Brazil won it. Uh, not in a fantastic fashion because nobody is playing in a fantastic fashion nowadays, but uh, especially in, in national teams. But Brazil eventually won, and that would. Uh, but Neymar was left out because of an injury, not because of of uh, because he, he was punished by Tite. So half of the country, or more than that, didn't want Neymar to play Copa America, and uh, when he got injured. Uh, in that uh, friendly match just before the competition, it was kind of a relief. You see, oh, good stuff. Mm -hmm. Titi didn't left him out. 
uh, didn't leave him out, but eventually uh, Destiny helped uh, the coach and national team because if he played, it would be all about him as it always is, right? All about Neymar and what he does and what he feels and how he plays and if he scored and if he didn't and if he raped the other girl or if he didn't. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's all about him. So it was a relief that Neymar couldn't play Copa America. Uh, and I guess right now this, uh, this is unbalanced now in Brazilian society, society uh, against Neymar. I think there are more people that don't want to see him wearing the national team jersey, that doesn't, people that don't like him, that there are people who really love Neymar and really think he's the best and he's the number one, and he's the guy who we should all support and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So here we have a divided country. I think you know this, this story, don't you? <laughs> well, Julio, um, it may or may not be true that you, Duncan, and I have all enjoyed nights out with some of the Brazilian team um, <laughs> at certain times in our careers. And we know the guys <laughs> like to uh, play good and party hard. Um, is it the case that, uh, is it perception, I, I suspect, in Brazil that Neymar parties too hard and doesn't devote enough time to his career in the way that, say, Ronaldo or Ronaldinho did manage to find a balance between the two things where they enjoyed themselves, but they also worked very hard and achieved their career goals? Uh, I think he's seen, not necessarily as a party guy, I think Ronaldinho, uh, Ronaldinho worked harder than Neymar to get his image, right? <laughs> Being a party, a party guy and... <laughs> full of ladies everywhere and, and we love a guy who works hard on those girls. things Julia. we love exactly. a guy who works hard on that image <laughs> exactly but I think Ronaldinho was more genuine you, you, you know what I mean it's, it's more like okay he's he's doing his things but he's always laughing he's not complaining he's not he's not a crying baby he's I mean he, he played so well in 2005 2006 and then obviously he kind of gave up, gave up his career, and that's that's okay. I mean, everybody understands that if you're rich and you're ugly, but then you're beautiful and everything, and and you have everything you want, and you play so you played so well. Okay, enjoy your life. I think people were more uh, were okay with Ronaldinho's style, you see. And then he came back to Brazil, and he still had time to win a Libertadores uh, 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 Cup with with Atlético Mineiro, which is which is not a small thing to conquer, right? It's the, it was the first thing in history and maybe the last. Uh, the, sorry, Atletico Mineiro supporters, but uh, it's, it, it was a big, big, big thing what Ronaldinho did here in 2000 and 2012 with Atletico. Uh, and then he retired. That was okay. Uh, Neymar doesn't have this body guy uh, image. He, he's the spoiled kid. That's, that's his... That's his image here in Brazil. He's spoiled. Uh, he's the symbol of a generation of spoiled football players that uh, think they can have whatever they want whenever they want. That's, that's why people don't like Neymar, basically, because people work hard in their lives, work uh, to, to get a minimum wage, 
to get something to eat. And then this guy uh, wants a bigger, bigger salary because he wants, oh, he doesn't like Paris because it rains a lot, because it's cold. This is the kind of thing that make people be really angry at Neymar. And, and I don't think Paris uh, are the biggest part of, of, the, of this image that he himself and his father built around him. Uh, it's more like having whatever he wants whenever he wants. It's like the spoiled kid. Oh, nobody can touch him in the pitch that he will cry, that he will die, he will scream, he will ask for a red card. And you see, this is, this is a whole, a whole uh, uh, image of someone that doesn't accept anything uh, that uh, doesn't work, uh, I mean, that doesn't go the way he wants. That's, that's the, the image he built here. So his, his biggest ally in the game now isn't someone in Brazil, it's actually an Argentinian want to bring him back to Barcelona well probably yeah and and, and it's interesting because uh, the players and people who uh, actually had any kind of contact with Neymar in, in their lives being a fan or being a player being a coach people actually like him I think uh, yeah. uh, do, do you do you know for me the solution for Neymar's career while there's still time for that and I, and I think there is not much, but there is. He has to fire his father. That's that. He has to do the same thing Lewis Hamilton did. The, the, the day Lewis Hamilton dismissed his father, he said, look, you are my father. You're here. You're, not, you're no longer my agent. You're, you're, we're, we're no longer working together. You're just my father. And that's a lot, but you're my father. Uh, the, the day Lewis that he started to win Formula One championship after the other, after another. Uh, uh, Neymar had to uh, listen a word or two from his mates because they're mates, as as long as far as we know, as far as Instagram tells us, he, they're mates. Uh, so he should listen to Lewis Hamilton, or he Lewis Hamilton could give him this advice, and Neymar had to fire his father. Look, Dad. You're here, I am there. Okay, so you take care of our family. We have earned a lot of money so far. So take care of the money we already have and let me take care of my career with professional people. You see, he needs professional people advising him. Uh, look, this is not the best time to go to Carnival. Okay, let's, let's skip this one. Okay, now... Let's let's throw a party. Let's throw a twenty-nine years old party. And oh, okay, this is a good time. This is a good time. Okay, let's do it. No, this is not a good time. So let's let's skip this one. Let's leave it for next year. You see, the, uh, okay, let's do. Neymar, are you really sure you want to leave Barcelona? You see, because if if there was some uh, really really worried about his career, he would have never left Barcelona. That was a horrible move, horrible move. And that was driving uh, to leave Barcelona to, uh, towards Paris. And that was a move based on money, basically based on money. Uh, and who is taking the moves based on money in his career? That's, that's 100% his father. Uh, I'm not 
I'm not taking Neymar Jr. out of the equation. Obviously, he's not a kid. He can take decisions by himself. But it's, it's difficult to, to challenge your old father, isn't it? I mean, it's, a, it's, it's not an easy situation to fire his father. Uh, and, I, and I'm saying all that, but I don't think it's going to happen, right? But I think this is the solution. This would be the solution for Neymar's, Neymar, Neymar's career. And from there on, I think we would see the fantastic player he is uh, avoiding all these controversies that surround his career. Brave words there, Julio, uh, to go against Neymar Sr., uh, my pie. Um, I'm sure we know Neymar's a big fan of the Transfer Window podcast, so um, <laughs> we should uh, point out that uh, Julio is available, uh, Neymar, f- uh, to be your agent for a smaller fee than your father. Probably around 7%, but, but, but you can talk to him about that. I think I think it wouldn't last like 10 minutes. Well, I think it would last longer than that. And as long as you got 10%, I'd be very happy. Uh, from one um, rather bizarre and um, interesting agency relationship to another, Julio. And we go to Danny Alves, whose ex-wife is his agent. Now, he's yes. without a club, but lots of interest in him including from Premier League clubs. Do you, do you have any um, idea where Danny might end up for next season? Because clearly he's someone who can play and play and play. Oh, definitely. And, 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 and this Copa America here showed us that, right? He played brilliant Copa America. And everybody, yeah, everybody was talking here in Brazil, oh, what would have been if he had played uh, last year World Cup? I, I, obviously, this is an easy... Easy debate, isn't it? We can, we can say whatever uh, we want because it's the past and talking on possibilities uh, uh, of the past uh, is our specialty isn't it? In, in football. Everybody loves to do that. What if, what if, what if? Uh, but uh, Danny Alves, uh, Danny Alves is, is, is a great... Uh, well, this is another guy who made uh, uh, the wrong move, in my opinion when he decided to leave Juventus to go to Paris. And you guys told me that uh, he was signed with Manchester City, right? He was not signed, but about to. And he was about to be uh, introduced as a Manchester City player uh, when he decided to go along with Neymar to Paris and to his friend Neymar. What if, what if he had gone to Manchester City two years ago? Maybe City would have a Champions League in the in the in their uh, in their sto- in, in their in their club already, right? In their uh, in the role of of of, of trophies. So he, I think, he still can be a decisive player for a big club in Europe. Uh, he doesn't need to play fifty-five matches in a season. He doesn't need to. Uh, imagine if. Well, he could he could play for I don't know, uh, Liverpool or City or United. Uh, he 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 could play only the big matches, and he would he would be such a positive influence uh, inside the dressing room because he's a winner. He's a winner. It's hard to find players with winner mentality and also very good football in in their feet. Right? There are lots of winning players 
that are not that good. There are lots of great players that doesn't that don't don't have the mentality, the right mentality. And and I think Dani Alves fit perfectly for a season or two. I mean, if if I were uh, Juventus, for example, I would try to to get him back. If I were City or Liverpool or Tottenham, uh, Tottenham would be great for him. Yeah, I, I, you you know these things better than I do. But there was this chat about Dani Alves going to Tottenham. That was uh, first spoken about on this podcast, Julio. And yeah. yes, it's it's it, it, what you're describing for Danny uh, as being the leader and playing a, a percentage of the games. That's the the strategy that was discussed with Tottenham, and that's exactly the strategy Pep Guardiola had in mind uh, two years ago when when that deal was put in place to sign Danny Alves. And you're correct; everything was agreed with the player. But the, the documents weren't actually signed, which allowed Paris Saint-Germain to come in and take him on his wedding day. And bizarrely enough, <laughs> yeah. all yeah. the calls started coming in from Neymar, from Paris Saint-Germain, from the other Brazilian players um, at PSG to convince him not to go to Manchester City and, uh, and go to Paris instead. And, and Guardiola's idea was, I need a leader in the dressing room, I need a leader and, and a, an example to the players. And a guy who can play football. And I trust this man. Um, and that's why he wanted him in. And um, I think uh, it, it, it's interesting. I've had a conversation about whether that, that, that door is closed to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the, the version of events I got was that Guardiola is still so unhappy with Danny. Um, that it is impossible. It would need uh, Dani Alves to get in touch with Guardiola and apologise for what happened last time um, for them ever to work together again. And yeah, talking about the past, uh, it is just ifs, but you'd have to say you would, um, if the option is to have Kyle Walker and Danilo or Kyle Walker and Danny Alves for the last two years, it's not hard to make the calculation that Manchester City would be <laughs> much, much better off with Danny yeah. Alves instead of Danny. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's fair enough, yeah. You can you can understand Guardiola. I mean, yeah, I, I would be mad at him as well. And and, and he was... Well, right now, I guess, uh, Danny Alves, okay, he would fit in Manchester City or everywhere, anywhere. Uh but he he wouldn't be essential to City as he would two years ago. Two years ago, it, it would it, it was a fundamental piece for Guardiola's fundamental piece. Well, uh, 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 it's it's easy. Uh, we just have to have a look at how much money he put in wingers and 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 backs, right? In right backs and left backs. Uh, in the last seasons, and you see how important uh, it was uh, for Guardiola to have a player like like Dani Alves. Uh, maybe he's waiting for Neymar, right? He's waiting for Neymar to take a decision <laughs> to see to see <laughs> where he goes. Again. <laughs> I call wait. him again. I've, 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 asked, I've asked that question as well, and I've been told it won't happen again. But, but just to clarify that, that Manchester City were as responsible for, for that deal not going through because um, it had been agreed for some time and the paperwork wasn't done and Danny Alves was getting frustrated 
that uh, Manchester City weren't actually completing it. So they left the window open for, for Paris to come in and, and offer uh, more money for the player. And uh, ironic, really, that they took Danilo at a very high transfer fee instead because Danilo is now the block on them improving at right back in that they have a deal in place to take Jean Cancelo from Juventus um, to play ahead of Kyle Walker. But mm-hmm. they can't put that um, transfer through until they've found a new home for Danilo. And that is, uh, his performances have been so poor, his wages are so high that that's proving very difficult to do to the stage where the latest I'm hearing from the Juventus end is that Cancelo is worried that he, um, he may have to stay at uh, Juventus um, for another season. What about Everton Suarez and... Uh... Uh, one, one of the things I find quite interesting about him is his nickname in Brazil, Cebolinha. Uh, <laughs> uh, we don't have many players called Little Onion in, in, uh, in Europe. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great stuff. That's a character here in a, in a, in a Brazilian, uh, in a Brazilian, well, it's, a, it's an old character here and he, he looks like a, a, a cartoon character and uh, he looks like this this character and that's that's why that's why he's been called like little onion uh he's a good player he's a very good player uh just to 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 wrap up the other subject there are some transfers that are very difficult for me to understand i mean if you had watched danilo playing for real madrid uh like a couple of matches no need to go further than that how come you pay what you paid for Danilo, I mean, it's 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 something. I mean, Guardiola is great, but he's not a magician, isn't it? So he can he can he he still can't uh, make miracles happen. So uh, that that was a bad a bad move by by Manchester City, uh, and bad moves usually will catch you in the future, isn't it? I mean, they they will not let you alone. They they will. Uh, uh, they will make you pay a price in the future. Uh, Everton, Everton is a young player, not so young. I mean, uh, he's 23 uh, or 24, 23 or 24. Uh, he's not like Vinicius Jr., who is uh, coming to Europe uh, the, the moment uh, he is 18, right? So he's not that young. Uh, the information I have here. Uh, from a couple of agents, not his agents, obviously, but a couple of people who work in the markets here in Brazil, is that he didn't go uh, uh, to Europe before because some extra extra uh, football problems, like in Ian's terms, like a party guy or something like this. So probably people knew about it, and that's why uh, nobody... Uh, decided to invest big money on him. But the thing is, uh, in the last year, uh, in the last 18 months, he's been playing really well, top level for Grêmio. For Grêmio, Grêmio won the Libertadores Cup in 2017. He wasn't a starter, but uh, uh, he was like the 12th player in that team. Um, he became a starter last year. He's, he's the main player of Grêmio. Grêmio is one of the best teams in Brazil. They play really good foot, football, aggressive football. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, after being called for the national team and playing so well in Copa America, 
uh, he raised some some eyebrows uh, uh, elsewhere. So maybe he's proven uh, he's ready to 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 go to Europe, to go to a top flight club, uh, and, and to play for a Champions League club. Um, he's he's the typical. Uh, well, he reminds me. He reminds me uh, just to just to compare with a recent player. Actually, Brazil is uh, releasing, let's say, lots of players with the same uh, characteristics. Vinicius Junior, David Neres, players, uh, wingers, actually basic, true wingers, players who will play uh, uh, close the sidelines, who will who will have a, an, an important one against one, uh, who will break defensive lines with a couple of dribbles and open up space for other uh, strikers. Uh, this kind of players, this is, the, uh, this is the type of player that we are producing most here in Brazil lately. Uh, not this, the, 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 uh, not the, the, the number 10, you see, not the, the brain, not, the, not Deco. You see, players like Deco are, are not being produced here in Brazil lately. Uh, or number five or number eight. This is not the, the football that is being played in Brazil. Here in Brazil, uh, 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 in academies, uh, it's it's basically a counter-attack style, uh, quick transitions, defense to attack uh, with fast players, fast-paced players. And this is the kind of players that we're producing. And Everton is a, is a perfect example. Uh, he's, he's very good in one against one. Uh, He's very quick. He knows how to dribble. He's uh, brave. Uh, he's he's not the kind of player that disappear in big matches. Uh, on the other hand, he's he's the kind of player that you can trust when the 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 the, the D day comes. You see. So I'm actually surprised that he he hasn't moved yet because he's still playing here. He's still playing for Grêmio, and I'm surprised that nobody paid a huge, huge amount of money for him. From the um, little onion to the big cheese, Julio, um, we're very, very intrigued about Jose Mourinho and the fact that he's not been offered a job in Europe that either he's wanted or has um, taken. Uh, some possibilities that perhaps he might go to Brazil and manage. What's his image like there? Uh, in terms of the perception after Manchester United? And would you think it would be a possibility for him to manage in Brazil club football or even the national team itself? I don't see him playing the, uh, a coach in the national team. Uh, actually, I think we'll have to wait a lot until we see a foreigner coach uh, uh, taking over Brazil's job. Uh, there are some people who, uh, the, 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 uh, who, who, who actually would love to see uh, a foreigner here in Brazil. I, I would love to see a foreigner head coach here in Brazil. For example, I think Brazilian coaches are really outdated. Uh, but Tite, for example, is a good one. He's, he's, he's very good. He's updated and, uh, and so on. But Brazilian football is outdated right now. And uh, there are a couple of uh, foreigner coaches that are doing really well here. Jorge Sampaoli is an example. Uh, after that dreadful World Cup with Argentina last year, uh, he was out of out of European market, right? Uh, uh, his his image 
was awful after that World Cup. And then he took over Santos six months ago, and Santos is actually leading the Brazilian league alongside Palmeiras. I don't think Santos is going to win the Brazilian league because he doesn't have uh, enough players for that. Uh, and it's a long journey, uh, 38 matches. It's a, it's a long, long, long league with a long calendar, much more uh, uh, stressful than European calendar. So I don't think Santos is going to be able to win the league, but they will fight. And obviously everybody's talking about São Paulo here and the way, he, the way his team plays, the way... Uh, the way he showed us, he showed everybody that with two or three weeks, you can, you can build a team. So I think Mourinho would be a great thing here in Brazil because he would be fighting against uh, head coaches that are much worse than him, much worse than him. Uh, and the way his, his teams uh, has been player <laughs> has been playing lately. Like lately, I mean, in the last fifteen years, uh, that would fit uh, perfectly here in Brazil. That's that's the way people are playing football here in Brazil, defending, trying to defend well, and thinking about uh, scoring goals late. So, uh, Mourinho is a master in this art, and he would take over here any team, and he would. He would make something happen. Uh, we can, we, we we just need to see what Scolari is doing. Luis Felipe Scolari after Chelsea, after the seven-one against Germany in 2014, he was basically done. And he came back to Brazil one year ago. He took over Palmeiras. Obviously, Palmeiras is the is the richest uh, uh, club right now in Brazil. But Palmeiras won last year's league, and they will probably win this year's league. Easily, uh, obviously, uh, there is a problem with in knockout uh, competitions like Brazil's Cup, Libertadores. But this is uh, this is the nature of these competitions, right? It's a knockout competition. You can win, you can lose. It's uh, nothing is is uh, you can take nothing for granted, right? So, uh, but in the league, Brazilian league, Palmeiras won it easily last year and. Uh, they were going uh, in the same direction this year, and right now they are struggling a little bit. But Scolari is is an outdated head coach that is flying here in Brazil. So I can only guess what Mourinho would do. And Jorge Jesus right now is the head coach in Flamengo. He's a Portuguese fellow. Uh, so the big clubs in Brazil are looking for foreign head coaches to take over their, their, their projects. Uh, there are lots of clubs that would be uh, super happy to take Mourinho on board, but Mourinho would have to lower his expectations in terms of salaries and, and everything, because obviously it's different money, different kind, of, different kind of football, different kind of reality, of economical reality. The way, the perception of Mourinho here is basically... Uh, of a great, great, great head coach of someone who likes Brazil. Everybody knows here that he likes Brazil, that he he's often coming uh, for holidays and so on. And but he's a defensive, he's a, a super defensive coach. Uh, but I tell you what, if his teams, 
that whatever the team he t- he takes over, if they won, they win like four new in two straight matches, he will be perceived as a super offensive head coach in, in a week. <laughs> <laughs> that would not be a problem. He, he, he could change his image easily. <laughs> but whenever, two, two, whenever, whenever, go on, Julio. Two, two questions for you, Julio. Um, my Portuguese friends uh, always said to me there was no chance of Jorge Jesus coaching outside Portugal and Europe because he couldn't even speak Portuguese very well. So what, what's the what, what's the Brazilian interpretation on, on Jorge Jesus' language level? And the second one, um, you, you obviously have the perfect club for uh, Jose Mourinho in uh, Brazil, in Portuguesa. Can you line the job up for him? <laughs> I think you might have an interest in it. Well, Mourinho would have actually to buy Portuguesa. And then he would be, he would be the coach, the president, and whatever he wanted to be. Actually, Portuguesa, unfortunately, we are we are about to to be a non-existent club. Unfortunately, that's that's what that's what uh, bad management uh, has done with my club. But I think there are lots of. I think Flamengo would be perfect for Mourinho. Uh, uh, Flamengo would be perfect because they have the money. They have the money. He would be able to manage money and signings the way he likes, the way he always done in his in his career. Uh, Flamengo and Palmeiras are the two richest clubs in Brazil right now, and a perfect fit for Mourinho right now is would be São Paulo, because São Paulo has the money. Uh, it's a it's a it's a powerful club, it's a powerful club that has been without, uh, well, has been uh, behind all the rivals uh, in the last, what, 10 years? 10 years, or more than that. Yeah, 10 years. They they won the World Cup against Liverpool in 2005, and then they won uh, three straight Brazilian leagues, six, seven, eight, and then that was it, basically. Sao Paulo, uh, they have been bad, really bad for 11 years, but they have... The academy, they have money, uh, they have great structure. Uh, a man like Mourinho could fly if he took he took over a club like like São Paulo. Jorge Jesus speaks a uh, a very Portuguese Portuguese, right? <laughs> so for for us for us it's different anyway. <laughs> I mean, if he spoke if he spoke a perfect uh, legitimate. Uh, Portuguese from Portugal and if he spoke the Portuguese from Portugal he speaks it's the same for us it's hard to understand anyway <laughs> but I but I see <laughs> I see he I see he's trying to to use some uh, Brazilian Portuguese words uh, he's trying he's trying but he's struggling right uh, because he, he he started well uh, his first two matches were really good and and the last two matches were were really bad and and uh, yeah, the day before yesterday Flamengo lost a very important match against Emelec in Ecuador uh, round of 16 of Libertadores da América tune in down uh, they will have to try to 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 revert this this result here in in Rio de Janeiro uh, next Wednesday it's not going to be easy uh, Flamengo signed uh, Rafinha from Bayern Munich uh, to play 
as a right back because that was the weak, the weakest link of this team. Uh, they had they had horrible players playing in the right back, and Jorge Jesus basically uh, put on one of these horrible players to play, and Rafinha ahead of him play in a in a uh, in kind of a four four two with Rafinha playing playing uh, ahead in the midfield in the right wing, and it didn't work at all. It was an awful move. Flamengo suffered a lot, and he's been hit. He's been hit by the Cariocas press. Uh, Flamengo is a big, big deal here. You know that. Flamengo is the is the most popular team in Brazil. Uh, where I am here in Bahia right now, it's mini holidays. Uh, everybody supports Flamengo. Everybody talks about Flamengo. Uh, it's the most popular uh, team in, in the whole country, not only in Rio de Janeiro. So, uh, Jorge Jesus will have a a hard time, but he's showing everybody that he's he's brave. He doesn't care. He's not attached to his job, right? He's he's taking the decisions he thinks uh, are the important decisions to make. Not worried about winning or losing, but obviously, if he takes these decisions uh, repeatedly and loses repeatedly, uh, the machine here in Brazil will keep working the same way. He will be fired. <laughs> Well, let's hope for the sake of uh, Duncan and Gilu and I, as well as a catter, well, a raft of journalists from Portugal and the UK. Jose has a job in Brazil and he can buy us some churros when we go down there to interview him uh, in the next year or so. Um, that as would a, be fine. That, that <laughs> would be, be fantastic. Churros on you then, Julio. <laughs> so, um, as, as, as you all know, we uh, like to end our Friday podcast with the quick fire round. I'm not going to put Julio particularly on the spot because he's been so wonderful in sharing his time with us regarding the um, interactions in uh, Brazilian football as well as, of course, the tribulations and trials of Neymar. But I'd like to ask you, Julio, give us one or two of you think the top talents who we might expect to come to Europe in the next, let's just say, six months to a year. Well, we talked about Everton. I think he's 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 the one. But will he right go now. to Everton? though? that's the question. Well, that would that that would be nice, isn't it? Everton and Richarlison playing together. Would, that that would, would be a that would work. Wouldn't we love to uh, see Everton on the back of his shirt? Yeah, that, that yeah <laughs> yeah that would that would be fine. That would be nice. That would be better than Little Onion, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah let's, <laughs> let's go. Let's go for Everton. Yeah, let's go for Everton. I think I think he's the he's the number one in the list. Uh, obviously, players are going uh, so quickly. Yeah, uh, we we have just lost Vinicius Junior, and Vinicius Junior should 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 be playing for Flamengo. I mean, for at least a couple of years. I think. Uh, I think there's one thing that European clubs have been doing that it's a mistake. They're taking these guys too early. Uh, if you take Neymar, for example, as an example, uh, Neymar played maybe a couple of years in Santos more than uh, he would naturally. Yeah, because he was so good and everybody knew he was so good. And those years in Santos were enough for him to conquer the most important uh, trophy for Santos in 50 years since Pelé was gone. You see, uh, the Libertadores, the, 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 the America for Santos. So it it's good for the player, you see, to leave these things, to fight for big trophies, 
to have all the pressure on them because the pressure here is big from press, from supporters and so on. I think these teams are taking players uh, so too early to Europe. Uh, Vinicius Jr. is gone. Rodrigo from Santos is gone. Uh, I think Everton is the is the number one the, on the list. Uh, São Paulo has an interesting player called Anthony. Uh, it's not Antonio. It's Anthony. It's like uh, it's it's already an European European name. Uh, Anthony is is uh, is a winger. Is a is a good player. He's he looks he looks. Uh, it looks like uh, he will have a, a, an interesting future. Uh, like David Neres left Sao Paulo early. Anthony is probably the next on the list. Uh, and there's a goalkeeper. There's a goalkeeper called Douglas, uh, who I don't know why <coughs> uh, Corinthians left him go, let him go. And he's right now playing for Bahia. He's not that young. But you know how uh, Brazilian goalkeepers are being successful in Europe. We can see a lot of examples, right? In England, you can talk about Alisson and Gomez. And Julio Cesar had a great career in Inter. And then, obviously, he played for QPR. Uh, so many great... Ederson, right now in Manchester City. So many great Brazilian uh, goalkeepers... Uh, have have played recently in Europe, and I think uh, this guy Douglas is being overlooked. He's playing for Bahia right now. It's been a while that he's playing here in in, in Brazil first league, and I don't know why Brazilian goalkeepers are are overlooked by European teams because uh, there are some really good ones here, and Douglas is a is a good one right now. And for you, Duncan, Quickfire would be your favorite Brazilian players to play in Europe. You don't have to give us three, but please just give us the ones that you like the best. I'm just going to choose the, the, the three favorite ones I've worked with in my career. So this is completely biased because they're all uh, Brazilian players I've interviewed. Um, one would be Gilberto Silva. Um, who I loved the way he played uh, for Arsenal um, and throughout his career in that he was... Uh, a defensive midfielder who didn't, uh, he told me in an interview, he didn't like to, to get his arse on the ground. Um, he felt like if, it, if he had to... <laughs> How do you say that Portuguese? <laughs> Colocar a bunda no chão. Nice one, thank you, Julio. <laughs> yes, he didn't, he didn't like to get his bunda on the ground. Um, and uh, he, his, his argument was if you have to slide tackle then you've got yourself out of position so you should go and intercept the ball first and I think his, his, his career um, kind of coincided his exit from Arsenal coincided with the end of Arsenal as, a, as being the real power in English football and that wasn't coincidental um, another one would be Kaká who I think if it hadn't been for the severe injuries he suffered at Milan would have been up alongside um, Ronaldo and Messi uh, as the, the one of the top three footballers in the world for his entire career. At, at the beginning of his career, the pace with which he was able to attack, um, coupled with the skill he had in the ball, was really sensationally good. I remember watching him in London um, scoring, I, I think it was the first international game played at Arsenal's new stadium. He scored an incredible goal yes. where he took the ball. Yes. From his own half and went straight to the against Argentina, score. against Argentina and being pursued by Lionel Messi, who couldn't yeah. catch up with. 
who went, I think, 70 yards down the pitch with Messi behind him and put it in the net. Um, and it was just a, 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 he's a lovely individual. I, I was lucky enough to be the first um, English language journalist to interview him. Um, and he was uh, intelligent, great with his time. Um, just a, a real shame for football that we only got, what, maybe four or five years of, of him at, at the peak of his, his abilities. Um, and the other one's a, a real outlier that probably not many people listening to this will have heard, but his name is Emerson. And he played for Urawa Reds in, in Japan when I was covering uh, football over there. And uh, I managed to get him on the back page of my, my paper, uh, the Daily Omiuri, saying that he, would, um, he was ready to declare for Japan to play international football. And Japan had this, this uh, system where they'd naturalize foreign players over there and, uh, and get them into the national team. He was the leading scorer in the J-League at the time. I got to know him quite well and his, his translator um, very well. Uh, my paper wasn't too happy about um, me running this story without putting it past the, the GFA, but we got it in. The, we got it in there. And, um, my leaving <laughs> present when I left Japan was a, a Japan national team shirt with um, with number nine and Emerson's name on the back of it, which uh, I still have to this day. Nobody, nobody's ever happy with these stories we used to run, right, Duncan? <laughs> <laughs> As of earlier. <laughs> that's 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 what make us that's what make us good journalists. If people if people are too happy about the stories we run, there's something wrong. Julio, <laughs> I, I see you're old school, and I would say I'm proud of you for that, and that's absolutely correct. And who would have thought Duncan Castle was causing some kind of trouble in the <laughs> Daily Yamura uh, back there in Japan all those years ago? Um, <laughs> It's time to draw this particular transfer window podcast to a close. I want to offer our sincere thanks and gratitude to Mr. <laughs> Julio Gomez Filho for joining us. Julio, an absolute pleasure as always. And thank you for all your insights and your information regarding um, Neymar and everything else going on in Brazil. It's been, uh, it's been great to have you on. Yeah, it was a great chat. Very good to talk to friends. Again, it's been a while that we, we hadn't had a chat like that. Uh, it doesn't even look like it's being recorded, right? It just looks like a, 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 a chat between friends and, and it's so lovely to, to do things like that and talking about things that we love, football, uh, on top of all that. So it was great to talk to you, Ian, to you, Duncan. Uh, hopefully we see each other sooner rather than later. And I hope I have uh, contributed to the to the to the podcast. Yeah, it, it's you a pleasure. certainly you certainly have, yeah. Julio. We, 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 it's been brilliant to have you on, mate. And uh, <laughs> as you said, it's great to have the reunion after all these years. We're getting the band back together, um, <laughs> which we try to do uh, whenever we can. Uh, yeah, you have my number. <laughs> we do, we do, and so do our listeners. Don't you worry, we'll be publishing it. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, we will bring this particular transfer window podcast to an end. Uh, if you enjoyed it, then please give something back and go onto iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And then we will be able to improve and expand our community, especially, hopefully, in Brazil, given our great friend Julio's input today. Um, to continue the debate, then please get in touch. Uh, we are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter for the uh, podcast account. Uh, we are Duncan Castles, at Duncan Castles, at Julio Gomez Filio, which we will obviously publish 
when we publish the podcast, and I'm at GarboSJ. For now, we will uh, leave you to have a great weekend, but we will be back with all your transfer uh, information and needs on Monday. We will see you through the transfer window then. Thank you for listening and goodbye.